All right. Well, welcome back to the City of Refuge Church. And uh, again, I need to announce this uh, formally since we this is a new one for us. Um, we're finally into the 21st century. Uh, I got really uh, goaded and criticized, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, uh, if you want to give now, you can do it online. We have a, a give button on our Facebook site and on our on our website. So uh, even a little uh, primer there by Kyle on how to use it. And someone as fat-fingered as I could do it, and uh, even without the help, it was amazingly easy. So anyway, that was another way to give, or you can just send it to our post office box 236. All right. So um, here we are again. Things have gotten even worse, I guess. Here in Andrews, we have how many cases of COVID? Six so far, and uh, uh, it's getting awfully close, close to home. So uh, um, we're still trying to find out what you know what God is doing and saying in the midst of all this. I know that He is uh, speaking. The Bible says He does nothing except He first tell His servants, the prophets. And there have been a, a lot of prophets that have been speaking uh, about this thing, and they've been speaking for quite a while. Uh, I, what I'm trying to do on my part of it is I always try to be, you know, honest with, with you and with myself. And I don't try to preach other people's sermons. Uh, I try to hear God and, and, and be honest about that and, and give what I think I'm hearing. But I also listen for others as well, especially the prophets. And if I hear something with them, I'll try to share that as well. I don't, I don't care where the word of God comes from, honestly. Uh, uh, we need to hear the word of God. And so I share, you know, what I feel like the Lord is showing me. I may be wrong sometimes. I don't know. Uh, but I also will uh, share things that I think has some uh, some efficacy for you. Now, in, re, uh, in a kind of rehearsal thing, the essence of the last three sermons have gone really right, right at this coronavirus issue. Uh, three weeks ago, uh, the first uh, lesson we gave that really went right at it was about repentance. That was a really good sermon, uh, if I can say that. This kind of sounds egotistical, but it, I didn't mean it that way. The word is good. Uh, good word in there. And literally to repent in a very real way. Repent from your wicked ways to good. But repent also signifies the turning from good to the better. Sometimes uh, there's a promotion involved in repenting because repenting is essentially turning. And uh, there's, there's two aspects to uh, biblical repentance. It's turning from and turning to. So even when God is doing a new thing, for example, he says, don't think about the old thing. I'm doing a new thing. So that's a form of repentance in a sense. You're turning from what has been to what will be. It's not a negative thing. It's a better thing. Uh, the second sermon was about our response to this pandemic that's going on now, this COVID-19 or whatever you call it. And the answer to this thing is to trust God. You, you, you have got to end up there. If you don't go there at some point, you're in real trouble, folks. Uh, especially as we move forward in time. I think a lot of the prophets have agreed on this one thing, that what we're seeing right now is not the end game. This is not the, the book of Revelation at play here yet. Uh, we're not in the tribulation period. But it seems like this is like a trial run. You know, it gives you an idea of what it's going to look like before it gets here. 
so that you will know how to conduct yourself when the real thing comes. Right now, we're running with the footmen. But when we start running with the horses and the chariots, you know, you better be in shape. And so this is, I, th- I think, is a wake-up call for everybody. Like, you know, really, where are you with God? Uh, do you really trust him? Because uh, if you don't trust him, you- you're going to have a really hard time. And the third sermon was last week. It was called Consider Your Ways. And uh, this is uh, a reaction to God is obviously moving on our lives. He is refining us even t- to our roots. I mean, he is going to the roots of our lives trying to uh, show you re- where you really are. Now, the sermon we're going to do today is called David's Census and the Plague. And uh, this I got before I preached these other three sermons. So for about a month, I've been thinking about this scripture. And it was really even before this coronavirus became the big deal that it is now. It was out there, but it hadn't become a clear and present danger, at least not here. And so, uh, but I had been thinking about this scripture. And uh, I was kind of even wondering why, uh, given the direction that the Lord has taken in the last month. But what's interesting about that is this story that we're going to read today, which is in 2 Samuel 24, this story has been attested to prophetically by three different prophets in that time frame. It says, I got it, and then I've had three different prophets uh, bringing it up as well, which I thought was very, very interesting. Now, one thing about this kind of thing, God will often give you a, a, a passage of Scripture, and you think, you know, the preacher thinks it's for this reason. And another minister of God will get the same stuff, and he thinks it's for that reason, not the same reason at all. And yet we both are getting the same scriptures, and and we get to make our point, whatever that point might be, and we may think that was why we did it. But I found often it was never about that point at all, is that God wants you to go there. And as you preach it, there are things that will be said and things that will be brought up that you had no idea about that the Holy Spirit will use to minister to people. It's amazing. It really is amazing. So <clears throat> this is one of this is my take on this passage of scripture. Second Samuel 24. Now I need to set the stage. This is the last thing really, uh, of that David did. He's a, he's an old man. He's about 68 years old. Okay. So let's read what, what happens here. We'll start in verse 1. And look how it starts in verse 1. It says, again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. So we have to start the whole story with that point, that everything that happened from this point forward was because God was aroused with anger towards the nation. So everybody in the nation, God had an issue with. So, read the next line, so he moved David against them. So he picks his agency to do what he wants to do with his people, and that agency was David. So he moved David against them to say, go, number Israel and Judah. Take a census. Now, the other version of this story is in Chronicles, and the uh, interesting thing about that, it says that Satan moved David to number them. And so, you know, which is it? I'll say it's both. That reminds me of the book of Job, 
You know, did Satan get involved in the book of Job? Yes, he did. But who, whose idea was it? It was God's idea. So God will pick whoever he wants and whatever he wants to do what he wants to do. So, uh, and I have noticed that myself in my life is that Satan, I can't say he always, but he often gets involved with things that God's trying to do in my life. And I know that can be confusing at some point. You're not sure what you're dealing with. Because uh, it seems to be both. And you, you can't, it takes a while to understand it can be both. It definitely can be both. And what I have learned is that Satan also, I don't know, it's like God is playing too fair with this guy. He lets him go first in an issue. And he tries, and Satan tries to steal all the glory, get the revelation, take the credit, all that stuff. And God's got something else he's going to do, but he lets the guy go first. And when I get to heaven, I want to talk to God about that issue. I think that's just not fair. <laughs> anyway, so, but that's what he does. So the king said to Joab, verse 2, the commander of the army who was with him, now go through all the tribes of Israel from Ben to Beersheba and count the people that I may know the number of the people. And then from there, Joab said, oh, man, why do we want to do this? See, Joab didn't want to do this. And, uh, you know, so everyone has an opinion. Most of the times it doesn't matter. Joab had an opinion, and you know what? comes to find out he had no idea what God was doing. And he was a leader. So throw that one on your pipe and smoke that one as well. Go down to verse uh, 8. It took a while. When they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Now, if I do the math right, that's a really close to the gestation period for a, for bringing forth a human being. Isn't that about right? Pretty close. Pretty close, 40 weeks. Is that right? So that's 280 days. And I mean, depends on how many days they got in the months and which months they are, you know, they could be really close. So it takes a while sometimes to bring things to their fullness and birth this thing. So it did. And uh, the event happened. And then in verse 10, look what then happens. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So did David's heart condemn him during that nine-month period? Nope. He was good. He was good. So for nine months or 20 days, this was going on. And we see it at the beginning it was because God's anger was aroused. Now, David evidently did not know that. But when it had finished, then his heart condemns him. So you could say this. He also is in the judgment that God is trying to do. Now, does that sound like God? Of course it does. When God wants to move on a per, on a people, folks, he will find a minister and he will make that minister be like the high priest is supposed to be. Moved by the feelings of their infirmities. And Isaiah was one of those, a prophet. In Isaiah 6, it talked about how he was called into the very presence of God to see the glory of God. And his first reaction is, man, I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So he's going to call someone like the people. So you'll be involved. You can't preach at people you got to get involved with their stuff that's where it goes so his heart condemns him and uh, after he had numbered people and then david said to the lord i have sinned greatly in what i have done but now i pray O lord take away the iniquity of your servant for i have done very foolishly 
And we'll find out why later. Now, when David arose in the morning, <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. Oh, boy. I feel like we've got to say that to you. You choose the thing, I fix to do it to you. Yeah. So Gad came to David and told him. And he said to him, uh, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Number two. Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? That sounds fun. Number three. Or shall there be three days of plague in your land. That word plague is what we've been studying the last month. It is the word for pandemic. A widespread sickness that can even cause death, sometimes as a result of a judgment of God. Pandemic. Three days. Now consider and see what answer I should take back to the Lord who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. Now, just stop for a second. Note this. All those three things are curses that God said would come upon his people if they didn't obey his, his promises, his commandments. In Deuteronomy 28, you go read it. Every one of those is what can come upon the land that God sends when you break covenant with him. So it's interesting that David says, I want to fall into the hands of the Lord. Well, they're all in his hand. So I'm kind of reading between the lines and saying that, that David is saying this, God, you choose. I know you'll choose the best, the right thing for me. And I think that's a good prayer. God, you choose. I'm in trouble. I just want to fall on your hands. I, your, your mercies are great. I know that much. And so he ends up with the plague. Verse 15. So the Lord sent a plague pandemic upon Israel. Andrews. From the morning until the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. We haven't got that far yet. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aranu the Jebusite. The other version of this is Ornan. That's much easier to say. So we're going to call this guy Ornan from here on out. Ornan the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? So he still doesn't know that God was angry with Israel. Right? So he said, What have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. Man, I respect that. that. That's an honorable thing. Maybe not smart, you know, but it's at least honorable. So what is the problem here? What is the problem? What brought this thing to this judgment? Was it the problem with the people? We know that God was angry with them. Was it the problem with David? We know that his heart smote him because of what he had done. Where's the problem? Maybe it's both. Maybe they're all in this together. Again, I'll reference Isaiah. Unclean lips, people of unclean lips. 
Let's talk about David first. David did this. I mean, why, why is he numbering the people? We're going to find out later. The reason they did that was to find out how many people could be in the army of the war. And it was a legit thing to do. Okay? So he was measuring his army. But note, up to this time, David had never done that. And he was undefeated. And his one hallmark in all those battles was he trusted God. And he listened to God for instructions. So he had a record that was unbelievable. So why did he do it? Why did he number the army at this late stage? I'll give you a few options. The first one is, is I think, was something we should always consider. Was it pride? Was it pride? I mean, you could take the fact that David had been successful like he had been. And after he's 68 years old, he's done this for 38 years. You know, hey, how about some respect? You know, 38 years uh, of doing this and not beaten yet. And so maybe he's just sort of letting the fact of all this success has been the way it's always been. He's just sort of being a little presumptuous. You know, that's easy to do. It's like counting your money or something. You know, one thing that God has done for me, and I don't, you know, I, I hesitate to even say this, but about money, early on with me, and I had an issue with money like most guys. He, he taught me this. Money is just a number. It's a number written down somewhere. Unless it's in your pocket, and even that's, it's just still just a number. How much do you have? That number can change. You have no control over that number. See what's been happening around here. <laughs> Craziness. So it could have been pride. Well, I know this much about pride. It'll keep you out of the kingdom of God. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And, and God knows how to humble the proud. If you're his man, woman, he will humble you. Or you can choose to humble yourself. You can choose that. I know this, that in the prayer that we've all been praying, that Second Chronicles prayer, but, you know, if all this stuff is happening, here's what you should do. You should humble yourself and pray and seek by faith. So, you know, that's part of that going on. So I've been thinking about that. Let me ask you all a question. you think there's a problem with pride in America? Even now, <laughs> uh, even now, with all this reaction to what we're doing, we're almost like we're bragging about what we're doing. Well, we're better than all the rest of the nations in the world in dealing with this thing that's killing us. Have you noticed it's killing us? <laughs> it's still killing us. So we have an issue with pride. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So, okay, that's, but that's sort of out there. How about Andrews? Is there a problem, do you think, with Andrews and pride? Thank God you don't live in Andrews. But I could, re- I just started saying Midland. <laughs> but I'll let you deal with that since I don't live there. The proud in Andrews. I remember when I first moved here, I was kind of shocked about Andrews. I wasn't from Andrews. I was coming down from Lubbock. And they don't have issues up in Lubbock. 
we are, by the way. But uh, the pride. You know, like nothing bad ever happens in Andrews. That was sort of the, the mantra, especially at the school. Is that true? Was that true when you were there? Did anything bad ever happen at Andrews ISD? Don't say anything. <laughs> Protect yourself. But oh no, we've never had a problem. And even now, with this coronavirus, was there sort of a little bit of boast thing going on? Well, we don't have any cases at Andrews. And I gotta even challenge that point. Did we? I bet we did, and we never knew it. Why? Pride. So what would do God do with a proud people? And how does he humble these people? With a little bit of a dose of pride, uh, pride's answer, which is the plague in this case. And just watch where it goes. And I'm not throwing stones. I'm, listen, I, don't, I keep wondering, God, why don't you show me this before all this really got to be a weird deal? I mean, obviously I have an issue, right? <laughs> because I'm a man of unclean lips, a middle of people of unclean lips. So I'll take my, you know, I'll take my shot here. I'm, I know that he's dealing with pride. So we can't even pray right without dealing with the pride issue. There could have been more issues or other issues as well with David. It could have been fear. Fear. And again, I go back to the fact he was 68 years old. Man, you've lost your step when you're 68. Guess how old I am? 68. (laughs) So, can't hit the golf balls for, you know, driving is not as easy as it used to be. I used to be like a race car driver everywhere I went. Still am, except now it's more dangerous. So, you know, you, you know you're not the, the man you used to be. Part of God's plan. Not only that, he was only like six years removed from the fiasco that was Absalom. You know, he almost lost the kingdom. Talk about losing your first battle. That's the worst one to lose. And it looked like he had lost it. So, you know what? When you get stung like that, it's hard to get over it. There's an old saying, once poor, never rich. The people who lived through the Depression were made poor. And most of them never really got over it. You could never stack enough money together for them to feel secure. They, their trust wasn't moved from the money issue to God, which is what needs to happen. So it could have been fear. And so... You know, that, these are the things that was on David's issue. What about the people, or both David and the people in that sense? Um, sometimes the answer to what the problem, the answer to the problem, you know, why is this going on? Sometimes the answer as to why this is happening is in the solution that God directs us towards and connects the dots in, in a way. Here's what he does. He will, he will make, he'll direct you to do something. And in the doing of that thing, you find out why this is going on. And oftentimes, it's not the obvious. Or if it is the obvious, there's more to it than just that. Okay? And we're going to find out the obvious here in a minute. But there's, I mean, it could have been pride and all that other thing. But there was, 
Sometimes there's more to it than just that. You know, Romans 8.28 is still available. You know what I mean? All things work together for the good of those that are called according to his purpose and love him. Let's look at according to his purpose part. You still have a life plan from God, a calling from God. And what we're going to see here, I think, and what I have seen many times, is these these blow-ups, these problems that seem insurmountable are merely tools of God to connect where you have been in your calling to where he wants you to go with your calling. It's crazy how he can turn something that looks that bad into something that good. I've lived through this before. I'm, I know what I'm talking about. This is truth. So I want you to look at something here. The, the, the answer to the question is in the solution. Let's read down as to what David had to do to solve this problem. Verse 18. And Gad came up that day to David and said to him, Go, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Ornan looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So Ornan went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Then Ornan said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Good reason. Now Ornan said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Ornan has given to the king. And Ornan said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. Then the king said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. Boy, you should underline that scripture. You know, platitudes means nothing to God. Nothing. Tips mean nothing to God. He wants a heart here. So it's got to cost me. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And so the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. So the solution worked. What does it show us about why this happened? There's a lot here. It's great. Number one, let's look at what is obvious here. Well, the uh, first thing that's obvious is where it was at. Okay? Um, look over in Second Chronicles 3, verse 1. Second Chronicles 3, 1. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord, the temple, at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Isn't that amazing? That what God was doing all along, other than the fact that he was angry at, at Israel, and he had an issue with David. More than that, he wanted to establish the place where the temple was going to be built. And get this, that vision for building the temple was had been in David's heart for decades. 
He had already planned for this, to build a house for the Lord. And God said, do it. God was well pleased with his intention of David. But he did say to David, but you can't build it. You're a man of blood. Your son's going to build it. And so here's his son building it at the very place of the failure or the time of the failure and the place that God chose to fix it. That's a better way of saying that. How do you fix a failure? Go to where God said to fix it and do what he says to fix it. And this is a special place. Moriah is also where Abraham took his son Isaac when he was a man and offered him up as a sacrifice to the Lord. And God did the substitute there. He put a lamb there instead. And at that place in his life, Abraham's promise went to Isaac with a, with a, a huge bonus added to it. And your sons will possess the gate of their enemy. So what you see here is a transitional issue of one generation to another generation. It was that way with Abraham to Isaac, and it was really going on with David to Solomon. Son, I want to give you the, the, all the wealth to, to build this temple, and God has just shown me where. It was where we failed. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to build my house where we failed. And I want to take that failure as, a, as an incentive for to promote you. Only God can do things like this. He's amazing. I've seen him do it in my own life. I've seen him do this. So he, he's, he's moving this thing. Now, in addition to where it's at, it's what it is. It is the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite with the winnowing stuff. To sift the wheat. This is a, a picture of what you do or what is being done by God as he moves us to the place of our failure and builds him a temple. It is the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, it is the ministry of Jesus Christ right now. Look over to me to Matthew 3. John the Baptist out doing his thing. And maybe this is that's going on is, well, I just got this. Maybe that what's going on right now is birthing the ministry of John the Baptist for the last go round. Elijah shall come. Wow. This is crazy. But here's what he said about Jesus, John the Baptist, verse 10. Even now, I'm saying, I'm saying this is right now. Right now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. That would be you. You are the trees. And the axe of God is going down to the roots of your life. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he is coming after me, is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor, his threshing floor, and gather his wheat into the barn. 
but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Folks, that's happening right now. Jesus has come, and over the last year, I have seen him baptized, not just with the Holy Spirit, but with fire. And, and I see it really happening first with me, and now I'm seeing it happen with this next generation. You young guys are, are getting this right now. If you haven't got there yet, just wait. This is coming in your direction. Look at this. Uh, one more thing about this. Jesus is what he's going to do. He actually finished it at Passover, which we're coming to next week. Look over Luke chapter 22. The way all of this stuff is coming together is literally blowing my mind. There's a lot to be said about Passover this year. Crazy. The prophets are saying it too. It's crazy. But I do see this happening with uh, the people in our church with the second generation. I really see this right now. Jesus is at the Last Supper where we do the communion. And at that Last Supper, he tells the people in verse 28, You are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom. You could put promised land in there as well I am bestowing upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel and the Lord said Simon Simon indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat the Greek there is like plural He's saying to to Peter, he's telling Peter, but he's he's talking about the 12. Satan wants you guys so that he can sift you like wheat. And that we just want, we just read here, the the ministry of Jesus is the threshing floor, the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Okay? So this is where you do it. This is where you sift it. And he's using Satan. Just like he did in the story we just read with David. Did Satan get involved? Sure he did. Did Jesus rebuke him? No. Let him do what he does within the parameters of what I'm going to allow him to do. Don't kid yourself. God's still God. All right? hope you guys are really understanding this. This is pretty heavy stuff. So I prayed for you. And when I heard that Satan wanted you, I didn't tell the Father, oh, no, oh, no, pobrecito. None of that jazz. Boy, I cleaned that up. (laughs) Nothing like it. He said, let him have him. Because it's the sifting that brings forth the real grain, the fruit that God has planted in our lives. And all that stuff that's just you is just chaff. Your pride, your fear, your selfish ambition. We talked about it up here a while ago. You know, all that is just chaff. His thing is what's going to stay. And it'll knock you sideways when he goes there. You don't know if you're going to make it. And God used the plague in David's time to do it. Think he could be doing something like that today? Maybe. He wants to sift you. But I prayed for you that your faith, your faith, should not fail. And when you have returned to me, that is that repentance, that turning back to me. Strengthen your brethren. 
So again, repentance is not just turning from evil to good. It's also turning from good to best. I want you to be what you've been called to be, but you cannot be that with your stuff. I'm burning it up. He'll knock you out. Your confidence in your flesh will go away. Paul talked about that. We are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and have no confidence in the flesh. How'd you get there? This way. The baptism of fire and of of the spirit will knock that out of you. He'll burn it up. And just watch it burn in front of you. It's craziness. And again, all this was at Passover. I want to make a point here about Passover. I really feel like this next Sunday, which is Easter, Passover, you know, it starts on Wednesday night uh, with the Last Supper and all that, Wednesday and Thursday, I guess. We're going to do communion here. Phyllis, I mean Phyllis, Susan will be here with me. And we will do communion together, her and I. Now, we can get within six feet. everybody (laughs) and I would encourage every one of you to go get your your bread and your wine or grape juice of choice and have it in your home as we have it up here all right we can't do Easter together but we could do Easter virtually and I think the spirit is really going to be there for this all right so I'm going to have ours up here, and then Susan and I will do what we normally do. We're going, to, we're going to give each other the Lord's Supper, just like Jesus did with these guys. And we'll just see what he does. Now then, why plagues? What is the purpose of plagues? Uh, well, that acts to the root thing has something to do with it. Look over in Exodus 9. This is in the middle of Moses' ministry, quote-unquote, in Egypt. And if you'll note, um, in verse 13, look at the caption, the seventh plague. So plagues were the order of the day when God sent Moses into Egypt. Plagues will be the order of the day when God releases the two witnesses on this earth in the, in the book of Revelation, they will strike the earth with plagues, get this, as often as they wish. How crazy is that one? Well, you wouldn't want to do it very much, would you, when you see what goes on? You would know the cost of a plague. And to do that, at the direction of the Father, I mean, really, he's, he's, he's creating in us a heart like his. He don't want to kill people, but he will, if he has to, to turn the rest of them. Can you get in line with God? So the last, the seventh plague, and it, the reason we chose this is because it really points out the reason for a plague. Look at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews. Here's a reason for plagues. Let my people go. That they might serve me. So those who dominate God's people, he's going to come at them to say, now you just let them serve me the way they should. Instead of dominating them like you've been doing it. 
Now, what this indicates is that there's some, there's some serious issues that are going to go on in America, in the economy, in our job force, in the way we dominate people. There's some issues, big issues. Verse 14, for at this time, I will send all my plagues to your very heart. Wow. All my plagues to your very heart. I like the NET version on that. It says that, that little phrase there, to your very heart, is an allusion to Pharaoh's, get this, to Pharaoh's stubbornness and blindness. What's the purpose of plagues? To go right at your other gods. Stubbornness and blindness. The fact that you live in darkness, I want to send something that will wake you up if you will get woke up. All right? I mean, he's got a reason for this. Let's keep reading. I want to do it right to your heart and on your service and on your people that you may know. Who knows? Pharaoh. People that don't know God so that you will know there is none like me in all the earth. That's a great statement, man. He's going to call it out. So, you know, you guys think you have gods, Muslims, uh, whatever you think is God. I'm fixing to show you the real deal. Now, 15, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and all your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Wow. That's the reason for plagues. That God's name will be proclaimed in all the earth. And that his power will be, will be demonstrated to all the earth. Now this scripture was actually quoted by Paul in Romans. Turn there if you would. Romans 9. Great scripture here. Verse 17, it says, for the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up. So here we go. That I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Now here comes some wisdom. Why does God do what he does with people? Some don't get it. Why? God's doing this right here. He's making vessels for honor and for dishonor. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Folks, what's been going on in America for decades is that. Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, but they're getting away with it. The stuff that goes on in Hollywood. The stuff that goes on in Wall Street. You think that's godly? Honestly? 
But God has put up with it for decades. Why? He's storing up his wrath. And when it gets to the moment that he wants to demonstrate it, then he's going to unleash these plagues. Twenty-two, endured with much long suffering with the vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he is also prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he called, not of the Jews only, but of the Gentiles, as he also says in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved, who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. This is an amazing scripture. So what's the point of all this stuff? We saw the, the roots of it, the seed of it in Egypt. We saw a picture of it with David. We'll, we'll get back to that in a second. And here we see it really explained by Paul it ends up being an expression of the glory of God being expressed in all the earth so that people who do not know God may know God. Even Pharaoh, he said, I did this for you so that you can do it. You can turn if you would. I said, I would share with you what prophets have said. This one came to me the other day by a prophet. Um, this guy said, as I was working on this revelation, I picked up an old Bible and a handwritten note fell out. It was from a meeting I had with Dr. David Wilkerson. Now, there's an old-time prophet, old Assembly of God guy, at the Embassy Suites near uh, DFW on a Tuesday in 1986. So that was what, 20, 34 years ago? Here we are with math issues again. Long time ago. The letter he wrote was addressed to Reverend Richard Dorch, who ran PTL under Jim Baker. 86 was an interesting year because next year was 87, and that's when all the stuff hit the fan. This letter said, Within 12 months from the date of this letter, the judgment of God will fall on PTL. And this was a quote, You are fornicating with brick and stone. Flee now and repent. Bats will fly through the empty building. It was exactly 12 months to the day that the Charlotte Observer broke the PTL scandal story. Wow. And we were experiencing what happened with all that here. It was amazing. What they went through, we went through. When God begins to do stuff like this, folks, it's all over the world. All over the body. In that meeting in 1986 with Dr. Wilkerson, he also said this to me. Now get this. I see a plague coming on the world. And the bars and churches and government will shut down. The plague will hit New York City and shake it like it has never been shaken. The plague is going to force prayerless believers into radical prayer and into their Bibles. And repentance will be the cry from the man of God in the pulpit. And out of it will come a third great awakening that will sweep America and the world. 
Wow. Does that fit the scripture that we just read? That those that said that they're not my people say to them, you are my people. The great awakening. And we heard that Bob Jones prophecy that in this year, the great awakening will come, the great revival, and a billion, was it a billion? I mean, a billion souls will be saved. Did y'all, I, I, I wanted to find this, uh, some of these pastor guys, friends of mine said they saw a deal, uh, a clip or something with people from Italy. They were commanded to stay inside. They were running out in the streets and hitting on their knees and crying out to God for mercy. They didn't care about the six foot rule. They were crying out for mercy. Were you there when they talked about that the other day? Man, I want to find that. I want to see that. So it's happening. This is going on. All right, so the plague is to go to your heart, find where you're stubborn, open up God to everybody so that everybody can get saved. Now, turn with me one more time to scriptures about what happened with David and his plague. Uh, look over Numbers chapter 1. This won't take but a second. Numbers 1. Verse 1. Look at the caption. The first census of Israel. This is right after they come out of the, uh, out of the, uh, the wilderness. I mean, uh, out of Egypt. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. In the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month, on the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel, by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel. So that was the reason for it. For that generation to go to war in Israel, with Israel, okay? Well, they did it again. Look at Numbers 26. We know what happened, don't we? They didn't make it. So there was the next generation coming up. Numbers 26. Verse 63. These are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar. This is Aaron's son. This is 40 years later, 38 years later. Who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. So they're ready to enter in. But among these there was not a man who was numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest. In other words, 40 years ago. When they were numbered, when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord has said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them except Caleb and Joshua. So they did it twice. Now, I want to postulate this. Who did it twice? Moses. Was the first generation? They failed. And he did it for the second generation before he gave the reins over to Joshua. This was just like what David was doing. My son Solomon sticks to take it over. I want to number the army. Not for me, for him. All right? Now, so what went wrong? Exodus 30. You better get a grip on yourself because here comes the good one. <laughs> Exodus 30. Why did it fail with David and the people of that time? Verse 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. Every man. When you number them, that there be no plague among them, 
when you number them. Well, David didn't do that. And there was the plague. And then it talks about how much it is. And go down to uh, verse 15, uh, 14. Everyone among them who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more. The poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, and you'll take the atonement money of the children of Israel and appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. That money, folks, was an offering. It was not a tithe. It was above a tithe. 10% plus this. This was given the same amount by every male to service the tabernacle. It takes money to keep the lights on, etc. Everybody had the same issue. All right? You couldn't beg off of it because, oh, I don't live good enough. Sorry. Because everyone's a sinner. And this is the atonement for every sinner. Everybody's the same on this issue. What I want to tell you is this. Maybe the reason God was angry with Israel was they were robbing him. Robbing him. Look over Malachi 3. Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. That word offerings, same word. There's many words for offerings in the Old Testament. This particular word is the one they use for the service of the tabernacle. They got other ones, peace offerings, love offerings. This one is to keep the, the lights on. The one that everyone has to do. You're cursed with a curse. Now, we mentioned earlier that when David was offered three things, they're all a curse for not obeying the covenant. And so here they are violating the covenant. So you got a curse. It could be a plague. It could be a lot of things. Read Deuteronomy 28. You're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me in this now, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor the vine fail to bear fruit for you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I've had another prophet tell me that the reason for this front of ours is because people have quit giving to the Lord. You don't think so? I think David failed. Just like he failed when he brought the ark in. He forgot to read the scriptures. And he brought the ark in his way. It was a good idea, done the wrong way, killed people. Same way. Prepare this thing for my son. Well, what did the Bible say? Go do what the Bible said and do it that way and you won't be cursed. Do it another way? Get ready. Here it comes. He failed to teach the children of the next generation. I'm teaching you this now. Next generation, get ready. The one before you, we did these things. You go look. I wish everybody took a, a lap one time. Just counting the money that comes in here and seeing what people do. We think it's a great deal to give $100, some of them. And we let you grow into that. But you get to a point where you give, no, you give 10%. 
10%. That's just the tithe. You see what they do in there with the people my age. They give offering, usually another 3%. That's a typical one. And if they want to, if their heart is moved, they'll give something to the poor. They'll give something to missions. They'll give something to the building. It ain't a 10% deal. And it's certainly not a 2% deal. And uh, there's many of you, this younger generations, time to grow up. You're fixing to enter into your promised land and you're going to go in half baked. <laughs> what do you expect? Do you expect to win? And you're breaking the very covenant that causes you to, to have victory? Come on! One more scripture will end this wonderful little number 14. We just kind of saw it a while ago. Moses had to do this again. He had to do the census again. And none of that generation got, got catacombs. They were all dead. Except for Joshua and Caleb. But look at this. Number 14, verse 36. Now the men who Moses sent out to spy the land, this is the first generation, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report to the land. Those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague from the Lord. The ten spies, there were twelve sent. Joshua and Caleb came out with a good report. They got to live going with the next group and got recounted. This group, the, uh, well, my point is this, these people had been counted. They did the, the little offering. They did everything right. And yet, they still failed and got the plague. Why? They didn't believe God. They had no faith. And so they could not enter in. You cannot please God without faith. Now, I know that's easy to say and hard to do in times like this when people are getting sick all over the place and people are dying. But maybe we should look at the root of the issue. And as a nation, you know, we can't fix everybody, but we can certainly see that there's more to it than just, oh, people are getting sick. How about doing something about it? How about repenting? How about every one of us confessing, hey, I got issues with pride. I'm willing to say it. God gave me this teaching before all this stuff happened. You know why I think he did? Because that building sitting over there that he just gave us. I mean, man, we're rolling. And now we're getting creamed. And I really think it's like, okay, now I'm going to show you something. That place I've set up for you guys over there, it's really going to be the place where the city of refuge explodes into what it should be. But you better humble yourself right now, and you better walk in your covenant. Amen. Good word. Father, we thank you for your word. And again, I ask that the same anointing that you give everyone who calls on your name in the name of Jesus will teach these people what was just said. Amen.